Hello and welcome to Brom Show. This is Brom. We are going through the series Why Christians Must Be Right, written by Brom French. We are now on chapter 5, The Welfare State. Some of us have not been giving. We have been taking. But taking at what expense? Not at what expense to the government, but what expense to us and our neighbors. Whether it's a disability check that keeps us from seeking employment or earned income tax credits, which can result in a payment from the IRS even if no income tax was paid to the IRS, or food stamps, or any of the thousand and one ways we get other people's money without doing any work. The actual victim becomes those of us who have grown accustomed to receiving something for nothing. The disability check might sound good, until you realize you are not allowed to work, even if the work is something you are physically able to do. You have now sold yourself short and settled for less than what you could have achieved and earned. You may have settled for far less than what God might have had in mind for you. The same becomes true with food stamps, SSI, and other unearned entitlements. Here's a personal story that might help make clear the defects of the welfare state. Several years ago, I owned a small business. The business was doing moderately well. One year, the federal government gave us money through a tax credit called the Child Tax Credit. We invested this money into the business. That was not money we had paid to the IRS. It had been paid to them by our fellow citizens. When tax time came around the next year, we expected to get money back again. However, when we filled out our return and reported how we had used the tax credit from the previous year, we realized the government was going to require us to pay several thousand dollars in income tax this year instead of paying us in the form of a tax credit. As you can probably imagine, we panicked. Our business had earned a, a gross income of about $70,000. However, expenses such as wages, gas, vehicle, etc. reduced that figure substantially. Already, our net income had much lower than the amount of funds we earned. When we realized we owed taxes, our hearts sank. We began to try to think of every possible expense to reduce our taxable income. Finally, we remembered that we had split the business earlier in the year with our partner. With relief, we realized we didn't owe taxes. We were once again going to get a tax credit. This realization affected our thinking the next year. Instead of making as, many, as much money as we could, could to provide for our family, we got close to the cap and quit. Our contract laborers found themselves without a job. We became trapped and enslaved. There was a glass ceiling that we were too scared to break. The welfare state not only harms the richest 1% by forcing them to pay vast sums into the system, it harms the poorest even more. It steals their desire and ambition. Government's attempt to help has caused more psychological damage than good. Why work harder when Uncle Sam will subsidize our lack of productivity? The welfare or the wealthy are robbed of their money, while the poor are robbed of their ambition. I encourage you, if you have not yet, break free from the shackles of government enslavement. This will not only benefit you, but will benefit society as a whole. Here's an illustration of how the welfare state works. 
When I was in fifth grade, I had a teacher named Mr. McLaughlin. Mr. McLaughlin decided to use us, his fifth grade class, for a study. I do not know his intentions or what he thought the results of the study would be. Up until about halfway through the school year, we all worked individually for our own personal grades. But this new idea was to put us in groups and take the highest score from each group as the grade for the entire group. As students, we loved it. We thought this meant we would all get better grades. We were wrong. As a matter of fact, every student's grade went down. After a couple weeks, Mr. McLaughlin changed the groups to try to get a better result. But nothing he tried worked. Mr. McLaughlin canceled the study rather abruptly just a few weeks into it. Apparently, he did not want our parents to see the outcome of this effort. We were allowed to choose who we would be, who would be in our groups the first round. I was blessed and got grouped with John, who was a whiz at math, and Tammy, who had English in her pocket. They were both straight-A students who never got in trouble. A dream to position to be in, I thought. Unfortunately, it did not work out like that. It didn't work out like it was supposed to. I didn't work as hard because John was so good at math, but John got tired of carrying the rest of us on his back, so he didn't work as hard either. That meant John's grade dropped, and so did mine. The same happened to Tammy and everyone else in the class. So the groups were changed. However, the outcome did not change. No one was doing as well as we did when we were on our own. Thankfully, Mr. McLaughlin realized the error and changed his grading method methodology back to each student working individually for their own personal grade. Before long, John's, Tammy's, and my grades had all began to improve. As a matter of fact, the grades of the whole class improved. The reason is that we knew we were responsible for our own work. We were each capable of doing the work the entire time we were in the groups, but there was no reason to put forth the effort when somebody else was willing to do it for us. The result of Mr. McLaughlin's study to some extent illustrates the tendency of many of our neighbors who are on some form of welfare. Many of them could no doubt do better in their own without government involvement. Those people who could not improve their lot in life, no matter how hard they tried, would have the church to help them. After seeing many people use the government to get whatever they could, I have no doubt that the church could do a better job than the government does of delivering services to the needy and rejecting those who just want to use the system. After all, it was the church that originally provided for the less fortunate. The role of government was for protection from enemies, foreign and domestic. The role of government has expanded beyond its original purpose, and that expansion has resulted in a smaller role for the church. Chapter 6 Law and Order The true reason for government is for protection, not protection from yourself, but from others. When government oversteps its bounds, we should be more than happy to put it back into its place. Unfortunately, we have been late to the game and have lost some liberties already. The more liberties the government takes without citizens doing or saying anything, the more it will continue to take, until we wake up one morning and realize that we have been put in shackles and chains, maybe for something as ridiculous as having the wrong, wrong light bulb in our house. 
Some of the proponents of bigger government have spoken in the past of the harsh rules that God placed on the Jews and Christians. The Ten Commandments are nothing in comparison to what government has placed on us now. Let's take a moment and look at the Ten Commandments. Exodus chapter 20, verses 1 through 20. God spake all these words, saying, I am the Lord thy God, which brought thee out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. Thou shalt not make unto thee any graven image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. Thou shalt not bow down thyself to them, nor serve them. For I am the Lord thy God, I am a jealous God, visiting the iniquities of the fathers upon the children unto the third and fourth generation of them that hate me, and showing mercy unto thousands of them that love me and keep my commandments. Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless that takes his name in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days shalt thou labor and do all thy work, but the seventh day is the Sabbath unto the Lord thy God. In it thou shalt not do any work. Thou, nor thy son, nor thy daughter, nor thy manservant, nor thy maidservant, nor thy cattle, nor the stranger that's within thy gates. For in the six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea, and all that is in them is, and, this, and rested the seventh day. Wherefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath and hallowed it. Honor thy father and mother that they, thy days may be long upon the land which the Lord thy God giveth thee. Thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not commit adultery, thou shalt not steal. Thou shalt not bear false witness against thy neighbor. Thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's wife, or thy neighbor's house. Thou shalt not cover thy neighbor's wife, nor his maid, manservant, nor his maidservant, nor his ox, nor his ass, nor anything that is, in, that is thy neighbor's. And all the people saw the thunderings and the lightnings and the noise that of the trumpet and the mountain smoking. And when the people saw it, they removed and stood afar off. And they said unto Moses, Speak thou with us, and we will hear, but let not God speak with us, lest we die. And Moses said unto the people, Fear not, for God has come to prove you that his fear may be before your face, that he that ye sin not. Israel was a theocracy, meaning that the laws and government were directly from God through his chosen messenger, in this case, Moses. The first commandments were in regard to how the people should respect God and worship him as their only God. In other words, God should be first in the hearts of his people, and they should not worship idols or use God's name in vain. After the first few commandments, God began to give his people instructions on how to behave towards each other. He instituted a weekend and called the seventh day the Sabbath. He declared that on this day of the week, everyone should have a break from work. This commandment applied not only to the store owner, but to the person running the counter. God instructed that people to honor their parents, not to kill, not to commit adultery, not to steal, not to bear false witness, and not to covet someone else's possessions. These seven laws were not to protect the person from himself, but from his neighbor. Exodus chapter 21 verses 12 through 36 continues with more detail about God's law concerning how people are to act towards each other. These laws are all reasonable and do not infringe on the rights of the individual. America is founded on these principles. It is time for a return to the founding documents and the principles cherished by the founding fathers. We do need law and order, but not tyranny. The government of America has grown beyond its usefulness and needs to be reined in. 
True law and order comes from the local police, sheriff, and constable, not from the federal government. I do not dismiss all government agencies. However, we have allowed these agencies to hijack more power than the founding fathers would have surrendered and tread on liberties that they would have never permitted. While the government grows and encroaches on us, it does less to protect us. The government over time has changed laws to re-victimize victims. The The thief sees very little, if any, jail time and pays little to no retribution, while the law-abiding citizens are rounded up for practicing their First or Second Amendment rights. Terrorists are set free and Christians are put on watch lists. Doesn't this seem a little backwards? If law enforcement, for the most part, was left to the local authorities in the states, I believe we would all be better off. If the federal government would get out of the states and allow them to govern and police themselves, every American would be freer. I encourage all state congresses and governors to tell Washington, D.C. to go home and keep your noses out of our respective states. There is only one true reason for a federal government, and that is to protect us from enemies, foreign and domestic.